0: From their birth, Talorians are taught to associate the duck with their hometown. So much so that when young ones see ducks in other towns, they are confused. Ducks belong in Taylor, after all. Even adults are amused when they see ducks in parks of other towns. Those are not real ducks. That is to say, they are not Taylor ducks. As we discussed in chapters 1 and 2, ducks not only are responsible for putting Taylor where it was, but also the two early industries of tailoring and cotton. And while ducks no longer have any useful function in the town, I found Taylor's history littered with their influence. Now is the time for the ducks to have their say in this tale of. Ducks and Cotton. Chapter 3. Ducks. Now, I've done more research on ducks and Taylor than perhaps anyone ever has, and I've found many stories I've never heard. Scientifically, I've found that paleontologists estimate The ducks and tailor have inhabited the area for at least 10,000 years. In fact, if one digs down more than five feet into the uh, soil, the likeliness of finding a fossilized duck bill is surprisingly high. During the founding years, ducks were in such abundance, they were used for every conceivable application. Of course, as mentioned in Chapter 1, the Czech tailors used the feathers for garment making, but they didn't let the rest of the bird go to waste. The meat was incorporated into a variety of dishes, everything from duck jerky to duck quesadillas or duckadillas, as the duck grill named the entree. The Duck Mattress Company, which is the original name for what many old Tellurians remember as Taylor Bedding, was established by Douglas Woof in 1877 to make use of the tons of feathers that were too ruffled or damaged to be used on the garments. The factory not only built mattresses, but also duck-feathered pillows and cushions. They were not particularly comfortable or soft, but since they were essentially stuffed with trash, they were very cheap, about a third the price of other feather-filled sleeping surfaces. The one part early Talurians struggled to find practical use for was the beak, or bill, of the duck. So discarded duck bills essentially became a medium of trade or pseudo-currency that Tolerians used from the city's founding until the turn of the century when inflation made it uh, impractical. Now, it took two bills to buy a loaf of bread in 1895, whereas five years later, the price was 100 times that. By early 1901, they were considered valueless. Now, this made local investor William Crawford's duckbill fortune, which was estimated about at 2 million duckbills in a 50-foot silo, you know, those big metal silos you still see around, made that entire fortune essentially worthless. Now, his wife tried decorating them to sell at festival booths, but they would never recover their value. Adjusted for inflation, his collection of duck bills would have amounted to about 50 million dollars after peak value in 1883. But Crawford died penniless in 1904. They say he drowned in his duck bill silo. It was then that his wife finally found a way to recoup some of her late husband's unwise investment. She sold tickets For people to witness the silo being blown up by dynamite. Now, people were hard up for entertainment back in those days, right? You didn't have television. You barely had radio. And she got the idea from another event held in Texas called the Crash at Crush. Now, with that event, the idea was that they would ram two steam locomotives into each other at full speed. 40,000 people came to watch the event. Now, unexpectedly to the organizers, but perhaps not surprising to you or me, the crash caused an explosion that resulted in many injuries and a few fatalities. Now, Miss Crawford promised that better safety measures would be put in place at the duckbill dynamiting as it was advertised. I dug up references to the event in newspapers statewide, and it reportedly allowed the Czech tailors to promote their going-out-of-style duck-feathered garments one last time. Now, on the day of the event, Miss Crawford was disappointed. Her spectacle attracted only about half the crowd as the Crash at Crush. Some 20,000 people from as far away as uh, Louisiana... Trained into Taylor, which coincidentally is right around Taylor's current population as of this recording. In the end, the explosion was reported as a success. The ground was felt shaking in the nearby town of Granger, and while only five injuries resulted from duckbill impalings, a bigger problem was the cloud of vaporized duckbill that reportedly swept through the town, and surrounding area organizers had assumed it would rise into the sky but the haze of duckbill lingered for weeks some blamed a continuing drought and still weather but I like to think that even in death and explosion the ducks from whom the bills came just didn't want to leave home perhaps where most people associate the duck with Taylor is the duck is the school mascot of Taylor schools. And, um, I'd always heard just kind of different kind of stories of how that came to be. So of course I wanted to find actual accounts and, um, firsthand sources for how the duck became the mascot. Believe it or not, Taylor was not always the Taylor Ducks. Self-proclaimed town expert Kel Taylor tells us that the Duck was not the first mascot of Taylor. Well, you see, most people today don't realize that back then, towns didn't always have mascots. It wasn't a... It just wasn't a common thing. You were just the town's name, and you were just the varsity team of that town or whatever. And, but in the early 1900s is when they started, it started really catching on in Texas. And, uh, you know, at the time, the Ducks seemed like the perfect fit. It was, but here's the thing, uh, around this time when you would choose a mascot, most most towns chose mascots names that alliterate with the town name. So, like you know, the Hutto Hippo. Like around here, we have the Hutto Hippos, the the Granger Grasshoppers. Well, back then, and and the Throthragers. Uh, they had to you know stretch that one a little bit. But Taylor would follow the trend, and their first mascot was not the Taylor Duck because that didn't alliterate. It was the Taylor Termites indeed, my contacts at Taylor ISD helped me dig up board meeting transcripts where the mascot termite was approved for all Taylor schools. However, it wasn't popular and the Taylor Gazette and competing Taylor Daily Press would never refer to the team by that mascot name. Yeah, so my my grandfather WJ Jr, he was actually uh, he was actually involved with a uh, Taylor termites team. Um uh, but you know he wasn't—he wasn't on the team. He was—he uh, was actually in charge of the mascot. Now, back then, most schools had living mascots, kind of like the college team do today. You know, the, the UT got the the Longhorn there, the Bevo, and the the Aggies got their uh, their their little dog there. But so Taylor had the termites, and so—but you know, a little termite is kind of hard to see just sitting there uh, on the sidelines. So they actually had a. a termite infested block of wood they would you know wheel out and and have on the sidelines there um but um they kind of had to stop doing that because uh back in uh i don't know i think i think he said it was like 1919 or something about a 100 years ago they actually escaped the block of wood and started eating the bleachers and all all uh you know uh, spring and, and, and summer they were eating the bleachers and then at the first game the whole dang thing collapsed you know it's kind of crazy so after that they uh you know they did get the you know guy dressed up in a termite costume termy uh the termite my uh my uh co- one of my my wj junior's cousin he was the first termy the termite um and uh but you know he uh he had to gnaw on the block of wood on the sidelines, so he ended up having, you know, some dental issues from that. But Now, Kel, I actually did some research since the last time we talked uh, on your great-grandfather, W.J. Swinson that you mentioned last time. And while he was in the sheriff's department during Prohibition, were you aware that he owned a bleacher construction company during this uh, particular time period? Well, no, he never really, uh, you know, he never really mentioned what he did, uh, before, uh, the whole sheriff thing. I didn't, I didn't much hear about that. And I did some cross-research on the schools Taylor visited on away games during the time Taylor had the living mascot that you say W.J. Jr. was in charge of. And were you aware that every single one of them suffered termite-damaged bleachers that had to be replaced? And did you know that Swinson Bleachers were awarded the contracts for the new bleachers in all but one of those cases? Kel, are you uh, are you there, Kel? An illusion? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm just uh, I'm just trying to figure out what's your uh, uh, what's your uh, and you did, know, you also, it, it, did you also did you also know? that three school board members had the last name Swinson. Well, now that when was a common the termite. That wasn't... was approved as Are you the sure school that... mascot. Uh, excuse no, me. No, yes, When the termite was approved as a school mascot. Are you implying that they had a little scheme going on to uh, you know, uh, infect the bleachers of schools and then uh, you know, uh, get the the bid for construction of new bleachers? Is that what you're you're implying? I'm not implying anything. I'm just stating the facts as I see them. It sounds perfectly well, I gotta plausible say, now you say that. It. it actually does sound pretty plausible. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, he always, uh, W.J., uh, you know, always had a little, uh, you know, a little dark side to him. So while Taylor didn't start out the ducks, it would eventually find its way there. The duck, specifically the mallard, became the official mascot of Taylor Schools in 1938 after swinson influence had left the school board. The year was particularly dry and the bog outside the neighboring town of Hutto nearly dried up. Hutto's hippo population became restless and began to wander away from the wetlands. They had inhabited since escaping from a passing circus train 20 years earlier. The ducks did not appreciate the large mammals taking up residence in their dwindling creeks and streams. The lakes in Taylor had yet to be built. Although the white-feathered ducks were too afraid to take action, the mallards formed attack flocks. In a coordinated effort, they swarmed the imposing beasts, so witnesses say, forcing them out of the waters of Taylor and chased them north to the Granger area. A den of lions who had also escaped from a uh, passing circus train, they were notoriously insecure at the time, attacked and killed the hippos. This event would also lead Granger to change its name from the grasshopper to the lion. Hutto kept the hippos, despite the striking lack of hippos in the town afterward. The lions of Granger, though, still roam the outskirts of town near the train tracks. Don't venture there alone. But in Taylor, with this ferocious demonstration of the strength of the duck, less concern about alliteration and the lack of scheming from certain bleacher companies, the school board unanimously voted to change the mascot to the animal most associated with the town's culture. During my research on the Ducks in Taylor and how it became the mascot, I ended up finding more about the schools in Taylor than I thought there was to know. And I both went to and worked at the schools in Taylor. From the 12th Street School to the old, old Taylor High School to the new New Taylor High School will uncover the secrets and surprises that my research uncovered. This podcast is a work of fiction and is for entertainment purposes only. Any reference to actual people or places should be considered parody and or satire and is not intended to communicate any true or factual information about such people and places.